Section 25 of the Natural History, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume 7 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 25, Book 35, Chapters 37 to 42. Chapter 37 various other kinds of painting. We must now, however, make some mention of those artists who acquired fame by the pencil in an inferior style of painting. Among these was Paraicus, inferior to few of the painters in skill. I am not sure that he did injustice to himself by the choice of his subjects, seeing that, although he adopted in a humble walk, he still attained in that walk the highest reputation. His subjects were barbers' shops, cobblers' stalls, jackasses, eatables, and the like, and to these he was indebted for his epithet, Ripotographos. His paintings, however, are exquisitely pleasing, and have sold at higher prices than the very largest works of many masters. On the other hand, again, as Varro tells us, a single picture by Serapio covered the whole space of the Bulostrides, beneath the old shops where it was exhibited. This artist was very successful in painting stage scenery, but was unable to depict the human form. Dionysius, on the contrary, painted nothing but men, and hence it was that he had the surname, Anthropographus. Callicles also painted some small pictures, and Callites executed some small works in the comic styles. Both of these styles were adopted by Antiphilus, who painted a very fine Hesioin and a Philip and Alexander with Minerva, now in the school of the porticos of Octavia. In the portico of Philippus, also, there is a father Liber by him, and Alexander when a child, and Hippolytus alarmed at the bull, which is rushing upon him, and in the portico of Pompeius, we have his Cadmus and Europa. On the other hand, again, he painted figure in a ridiculous costume, known joscally as Grellis and hence it is that pictures of this class are generally known as grilli. Antiphilus was a native of Egypt and received instruction in the art from Sidermus. It would not be right to pass in silence the painter of the temple at Ardea, the more particularly as he was honored with the citizenship at that place, and with the following inscription in verse upon one of the paintings which he executed there. These paintings, worthy of this worthy place, Temple of Juno, Queen and wife of Jove, Plautius Marcus from Alalia, made, may Ardea now and ever praise him for his skill. These lines are written in ancient Latin characters. Ludius too, who lived in the time of the late Emperor Augustus, must not be allowed to pass without some notice, for he was the first to introduce the fashion of covering the walls of our houses with most pleasing landscapes, representing villas, porticos, ornamental gardening, woods, groves, hills, fish ponds, canals, rivers, seashores, and anything else one could desire, vary with figures of persons walking, sailing, or proceeding to their villas on asses or in carriages. Then too, there are others to be seen fishing, fowling, or gathering in the vintage. In some of his decorations, there are fine villas to be seen, and rose to them across the marshes with women making bargains to be carried across on men's shoulders, who move along slipping at every step and tottering beneath their load, with numberless other objects 
of a similar nature, redolent of mirth and of the most amusing ingenuity. It was this artist, too, who first decorated our uncovered edifices with representations of maritime cities, a subject which produces a most pleasing effect and at a very trifling expense. But as for fame, that has been reserved solely for the artists who have painted pictures, a thing that gives us all the more reason to venerate the prudence displayed by the men of ancient times. For with them, it was not the practice to decorate the walls of houses for the gratification of the owners only, nor did they lavish all their resources upon a dwelling which must of necessity always remain a fixture in one spot, and admits of no removal in case of conflagration. Protagonese was content with the college in his little garden. Apelles had no paintings on the plaster of his walls, it not being the fashion in their day to color the party walls of houses from top to bottom. With all those artists, art was ever watchful for the benefit of whole cities only, and in those times a painter was regarded as a common property of all. Shortly before the time of the late Emperor Augustus, Aurelius was in high esteem at Rome. And with fair reason had he not profaned the art by a disgraceful piece of profanity, for, being always in love with some woman or other, it was his practice in painting goddesses to give them the features of his mistresses. Hence it was that there was always some figures of prostitutes to be seen in his pictures. More recently lived Amulius, a grave and serious personage, but a painter in the florid style. By this artist there was a Minerva, which had the appearance of always looking at the spectators from whatever point it was viewed. He only painted a few hours each day, and then with the greatest gravity, for he always kept the toga on, even in the midst of, an, of his implements. The Golden Palace of Nero was the prison house of this artist's productions, and hence it is that there are so few of them to be seen elsewhere. Next in repute to him were Cornelius Pinus and Audius Priscus, who painted the Temple of Honor in that of virtue, on the restoration by the Emperor Vespasianus Augustus. Priscus approaches more closely to the ancient masters. Chapter 38. An effectual way of putting a stop to the singing of birds. I must not omit here, in reference to a painting, a celebrated story that is told by Lepidus. During the triumvirate, when he was entertained by the magistrates of a certain place, he had lodgings given to him in a house that was woolly surrounded by trees. The next day, he complained to them in a threatening tone that he had been unable to sleep for the singing of birds there. Accordingly, they had a dragon painted on pieces of parchment of the greatest length that could possibly be obtained and surrounded the grove with it, a thing that so terrified the birds, it is said, that they became silent at once. And hence, it was that it first became known how this object could be attained. Chapter 39. Artists who have painted in acoustics or wax, with either the crestum or the pencil. It is not agreed who was the inventor of the art of painting in wax in an encaustic. Some think it was the discovery of the painter Aristides, and some think it was afterwards brought to perfection by Proxiteles. But there are encaustic paintings in existence, of a somewhat prior date to them, those by Polygnotus, for example and by Nicanor and Arcesialus, natives of Paros. Elasipus, too, had inscribed upon a picture of his Aegina, the word, a thing that he certainly could not have done if the art of encaustic painting had not been then invented. Chapter 40. The first inventors of various kinds of painting. The greatest difficulties in the art of painting. 
several varieties of painting. The first artist that painted ceilings, when arced roofs were first painted, the marvelous prize of some pictures. It is said too that Pamphilus, the instructor of Apelles, not only painted an encaustic, but also instructed Pausias of Sisicon in the art, the first who rendered himself distinguished in this branch. Pausias was the son of Braites, by whom he was originally instructed in the art of painting. He retouched also with the pencil some walls at Thespiae, then undergoing repair, which had formerly been painted by Polygnotus. Upon instituting a comparison, however, it was considered that he was greatly inferior, this kind of painting not being in his line. It was he, too, who first thought of painting ceilings, nor had it been the practice before his day to use this kind of decoration for arched roofs. He painted many small pictures also, miniatures of children more particularly, a thing which, according to the interpretation put it upon by his rivals, was owing to the peculiarly slow process of encaustic painting. The consequence was that being determined to give a memorable proof of his celerity of execution, he completed a picture in the space of a single day, which was thence called the Hemeresios, representing the portrait of a child. In his youth, he was enamored by Glycera, his fellow townswoman, the first inventor of chaplets, and in his rivalry of the skill shown by her, he achieved so much success in the encaustic art as to reproduce the almost numberless tints dis displayed by flowers. At a later period, he painted her, seated with a chaplet on, and thus produced one of the very finest of his pictures, known as the Stefane Plokos by some, and as the Stephanopoulos by others. From the circumstance that Glycera has supported herself in her poverty by selling these chaplets, a copy of this picture, usually known as an apographon, was purchased by L. Lucullus at Athens during the festival of Dionysia at the price of two talents. Pausias also painted some large pictures, a sacrifice of oxen, for instance, which used to be seen in the portico of Pompeius. In this painting, he invented several improvements, which many artists have since imitated, but none with the same success. Although in the picture it was particularly his desire to give an impression of the length of the ox, he painted it with the front view and not sideways, and still has caused the large dimensions of the animal to be fully understood. And then too, whereas all other painters color in white such parts as they wish to have the appearance of being prominent, and in black such proportions are as intended to remain in the background, he has painted the whole of the ox a black color, and has shown the dimensions of the body which throws the shadow by the medium of the shadow itself, thus evincing a wonderful degree of skill in showing relief upon a coat painted with a single color and conveying an impression of uniform solidity upon a broken ground. It was at Sisicon also that Pausias passed his life, a city which for a long time continued to be the native place of painting. Ultimately, all the paintings belonging to that place were sold by public auction for the discharge of the debts owing by the city and were transferred to Rome in the edelship of Scarus. Next to him, in the 104th Olympiad, Euphronor, the Isthuthmian, distinguished himself far beyond all others, an artist who has already been mentioned in our account of the statuaries. He executed some colossal figures also and some statues in marble and he chased some drinking vessels, being studious and laborious in the highest degree, excellent in every branch, 
and at all times equal to himself. This artist seems to have been the first to represent heroes with becoming dignity, and to have paid particular attention to symmetry. Still, however, in the generality of instances, he has made the body slight in proportion to the head and limbs. He composed some treatises also upon symmetry and colors. His works are An Equestrian Combat, The Twelve Gods, and A Theseus, with reference to which he remarked that the Theseus of Parhasius had been fed upon roses, but his own upon beef. There are also at Ephesus some famous pictures by him, and Ulysses, in his feigned madness, yoking together an ox and a horse, men, in an attitude of meditation, wearing the pallium, and a warrior sheathing his sword. And at the same time also Floris Caedias, for whose pictures of the Argonautae, the orator Hortensius, paid 144,000 sesterces, and a shrine constructed expressly for its reception on the essay at Tusculum. There was also an Antidotus, a pupil of Euphranor, by whom there is, at Athens, a combatant armed with a shield, a wrestler also, and a trumpeter, a work which has been considered a most exquisite production. Antidotus, as a painter, was more careful in his works than prolific, and his coloring was of a severe style. His principal glory was his having been the instructor of Nikias of Athens, who was a most careful painter of female portraits, and a strict observer of light and shade, making it his especial care that the figures in his pictures should appear in the boldest relief. His works are Anemia, which was brought from Asia to Rome by Salonis and was placed in the Curia, as already stated, a father Liber in the Temple of Concord, Iacathus, which the Emperor Augustus was so delighted with that he took it away with him after the capture of Alexandria, for which reason also it was consecrated in the Temple of Augustus by the Emperor Tiberius and Adonai. At Ephesus, there is a tomb by him of a Megabizus, or priest of the Ephesian Diana, and at Athens, a representation of the Nicomantia of Homer, which last he declined to sell to King Attalus for sixty talents, and in preference, so rich was he, made a present of it to his own native place. He ex also executed some large pictures, among which there are a Calypso, an Io, an Andromeda, a very fine Alexander, and the porticos of Pompeius and the Calypso seated. To this painter also there are some pictures of cattle attributed, and in his dogs he has been remarkably successful. It was this Nikios, with reference to whom Praxiteles, when asked with which all of his works and marble he was the best pleased, made answer, those to which Nikios has set his hand. So highly did he esteem the coloring of that artist. It has not been satisfactorily ascertained whether it is this artist or another of the same name that some writers have placed in the 112th Olympiad. With Nikias has been compared, and indeed sometimes referred to him, Athenion of Maronia, a pupil of Glaucion of Corinth. In his coloring, he is more somber than Nikias, and yet, with all his somberness, more pleasing, so much so indeed that in his painting shines forth the extensive knowledge which he possessed of the art. He painted in the temple of Eleusis, a Pylarchus, and at Athens, a family group, which has been known as the Syngenicon. And Achilles also, concealed in a female dress, and Ulysses detecting him. A group of six whole-length figures in one picture, and a work which has contributed to his fame more than any other, a groom leading a horse. Indeed, 
If he had not died young, there would have been no one comparable to Athenion in painting. Heraclides II of Macedon has some repute as an artist. At first he was a painter of ships, but afterwards, on the capture of King Perseus, he removed to Athens, where, at the same period, was also Metrodorus, who was both a painter and a philosopher, and of considerable celebrity in both branches. Hence it was that when L. Paulus Amelius, after the conquest of Perseus, requested the Athenians to send him the most esteemed philosopher for the education of his children, and a painter to represent his triumph, they made choice of Metrodorus, declaring that he was eminently suited for either purpose, a thing which Paulus admitted to be the case. Timomachus of Byzantium, in the time of the dictator Caesar, painted in Ajax and in Medea, which were placed by Caesar in the temple of Venus Genetrix, having been purchased at the price of 80 talents, the value of the Attic talent being, according to M. Varro, equivalent to 6,000 denarii. In Orestes, also by Timomachus, in Iphigenia, in Taurus, and Lycthion, a teacher of gymnastics, are equally praised. A noble family also, and two men clothed in the polyum, and about to enter into conversation, the one standing, the other in a sitting posture. It is in his picture, however, of the Gorgon that the art appears to have favored him most highly. Aristolaus, the son and pupil of Pasias, was one of the painters in a more severe style. There are by him an epimonimus of Pericles, Medea, a Theseus, and an emblematical picture of the Athenian people in a sacrifice of oxen. Some persons, too, are pleased with the careful style of Nicophanes, who is also a pupil of Pausias, a carefulness, however, which only artists can appreciate, as in other respects he was harsh in his colors and too lavish of still, as in his picture, for example, of Escopolis with the daughters Hygia, Igel, and Panachia, his Jason and his sluggard, known as the Ocanes, a man twisting a rope at one end as an ass gnaws it at the other. As to Socrates, his pictures are, with good reason, universally esteemed. Having now mentioned the principal painters in either branch, I must not pass in silence those who occupy the next rank. Aristocles decorated the temple of Apollo at Delphi. Antiphilus is highly praised for his picture of a boy blowing a fire, which illumines an apartment handsomely furnished and throws a light upon the features of the youth. A spinning room with women plying their respective tasks and a king, Ptolemus, hunting. But his most famous picture is the satyr, clad in a panther skin and known as the Pascapuon. Aristophon has painted an Anachius, wounded by the boar, with a stipale, the sharer of his grief, and a picture with numerous figures representing Priam, Helena, Credulity, Ulysses, Deiphobus, and Gule. And Drabos has painted Ascylus cutting away the anchors of the Persian fleet, and Artemon Adonai with robbers and admiration, a queen's Dratonike, and a Hercules and Dianaria. But the finest of all this artist's work are now those in the buildings of Octavia, a Hercules ascending to heaven with the sanction of the gods from his funeral pile upon Mount Ida in Doris, and the story of Lymedon in his bargain with Hercules and Neptune. Alciamus has painted Deoxapis, who was victorious in the Pancratium at Olympia without raising the dust victory known to the Greeks as being gained a conity. Conus painted pedigrees. Sasilikos, a pupil of Apelles, was famous for a bullass picture of his representing Jupiter in labor with Bacchus, with a mitra on his head and crying like a woman in the midst of the goddesses, who are acting as midwives. 
Cleon distinguished, distinguished himself by his Cadmus, and Sisidemes by his capture of Icalia and his Laodomia. Cestacleus became notorious for the insult which he offered to Queen Stratonoke, for upon failing to meet with an honorable recession for her, he painted her romping with a fisherman, for whom, according to common report, she had conceived an ardent affection. After exhibiting this picture in the harbor of Ephesus, he at once set sail and escaped. The queen, however, would not allow of its removal, the likenesses of the two figures being so admirably respected. Cratinus, the comic writer, painted at Athens in the Pompeian there. Of Eutychrides, there is a victory riding a chariot drawn by two horses. Eudorus is famous for his dramatic scenery. He executed some statues in bronze also. By Hippus, there is a Neptune in victory. Hebron painted a picture of friendship and concord, and several fi figures of divinities. Leontiscus, an Eratus with the trophies of victory, and a singing girl. Leon, a portrait of Sappho, and Nearchus, a Venus attended by Cupids and Graces, and Hercules, sorrowing and repentant at the sad results of his madness. Nealgis, a remarkably ingenious and inventive artist, painted a Venus. On one occasion, when he had to represent a naval engagement between the Persians and Egyptians, wishing it to be understood that, that it took place on the river Nilus, the waters of which are similar in appearance to those of the sea, he employed an emblem to disclose that which would not admit of expression by art, for he painted an ass drinking on the shore, and a crocodile lying in wait for him. Aeneas has painted a family group, a philiscus, a painter's studio with a boy blowing the fire, Philerion, a skyla, Simonides, an agartharchus, and a menesime, Simus, a youth reposing, a fuller's shop, a person celebrating the quinquatria, and a nemesis of great merit. By Theodorus, there is a man anointing himself, a picture of the murder of Aegisthus and Clymenostra by Orestes, and a representation of the Trojan War in a series of paintings now at Rome in the porticos of Philippus, a Cassandra also in the Temple of Concord, a Leontum, the mistress of Epicurus, in an attitude of meditation, and a King Demetrius. Theonas painted the frenzy of Orestes and Themarius placing on the lyre. Tariscus, a Discobolus, a Clymenestra, a Pan in miniature, a Polynecus claiming the sovereignty, and a Capanese. In speaking of these artists, I must not omit to mention one memorable circumstance. Aragonus, who was color grinder to the painter Nyalcus, himself made such progress in the art as to leave a very celebrated pupil, Pasias, the brother of Aigenida, the modeler. It is also a very singular fact, and one well deserving of remark, that the last works of these artists, their unfinished paintings, in fact, are held in greater admiration than their completed works. The iris of Aristides, for example, the Tindinare of Nicomachus, the Demea, Medea of Timomachus, and the Venus of Apelles, already mentioned. For in such works as these, we not only see the outline depicted and the very thoughts of the artists expressed, but have the composition additionally commended to our notice by the regrets which we must necessarily feel on finding the hand that commenced it arrested by death. There are still some other artists who, by no means without reputation, can only be noticed here in a summary manner. Aristocides, Alexander, Aristobulus of Syria, Erechidselos, son of Tisicritos, Carobus, a pupil of Nicomas, Carmentides, a pupil of Euphranor, Dionysodorus of Colophon, Dicagogenes, a contemporary of King Demetrius, Euthymides, Heraclides of Macedon, 
Milo of Soli, a pupil of the statuary Paramachus, Nasetheus of Sisathon, Nasidamus, the son and pupil of Aristodendes, Nessus, son of Hobron, Polemon of Alexandria, Theodorus of Samos, and Stadeus, pupils of Nicosthesnes, and Zeno of Sisathon, a pupil of Neocles. There have been some female painters also. Timorede, the daughter of Mycon, painted a Diana at Ephesus, one of the very oldest panel paintings known. Irene, daughter and pupil of the artist Cartanus, painted a figure of a girl now at Eleusis, a Calypso, an aged man, the juggler Theodorus, and Alcisthenes, the dancer. Aristarite, daughter and pupil of Nerecars, painted an Aesculapius. Aya of Sisychus, who always remained single, painted at Rome in the youth of Mvaro, born with the brush and with greater graver upon ivory, her subjects being female portraits mostly. At Naples, there is a large picture by her, the portrait of an old woman, as also a portrait of herself, taken by the aid of a mirror. There was no painter superior to her for expedition, while at the same time, her artistic skill was such that her work sold at much higher prices than those of the most celebrated portrait painters of her day, Sopolis namely, and Dionysius, with whose pictures our galleries are filled. One Olympias painted also, but nothing is known relative to her, except that she had Autobulus for a pupil. Chapter 41. Encaustic Painting In ancient times, there were but two methods of encaustic painting, in wax and on ivory, with the cestrum or pointed graver. When, however, this art came to be applied to the painting of ships of war, a third method was adopted, that of melting the wax colors and laying them on with a brush while hot. Painting of this nature applied to vessels will never spoil from the action of the sun, winds, or salt water. Chapter 42. The Coloring of Tissues In Egypt, too, they employ a very remarkable process for the coloring of tissues. After pressing the material, which is white at first, they saturate it, not with colors, but with mordants that are calculated to observe color. This done, the tissues, still unchanged in appearance, are plunged into a cauldron of boiling dye and are removed the next moment fully colored. It is a singular fact, too, that although the dye in the pan is of one uniform color, the material when taken out of it is of various colors, according to the nature of the mordants that have been respectively applied to it. These colors, too, will never watch out. Thus, the dye pan, which under ordinary circumstances, no doubt, would have been made but one color of several, if colored tissues had been put into it, is here made to yield several colors from a single dye. At the same moment that it dyes the tissues, it boils in the color, and it is in fact that material which has been thus submitted to the action of fire becomes stouter and more serviceable for wear than it would have been if not been subjected to the process. End of section 25.